Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. Do you ever find yourself just watching the same shows over and over again? Habitually. Even though I've watched them end-to-end in order multiple times, I'm like, yeah, this would be good. I was just watching. I was dying laughing at Seinfeld last night the, the Bette Midler episode uh, <laughs> I mean like you could say any episode and it's like oh that's that's just fantastic but I just you know Kramer he's just got me you know it's just just perfect but I I don't feel a need I literally have the apps for to watch any show or movie I could possibly watch I, I could want at any time and I find myself running through Seinfeld reruns like it's going out of style even though I just finished up the end in Seinfeld rerun. I just I have to have something on the background I don't like pay attention to it necessarily but it's just oh it's just there you know but yeah I, I I don't get into the new stuff it's just this constant cycle of what I watch well I, I take that back because like I've watched some King of Queens but I'm on like we're on this King of Queens kick right now where like just it's it's always on like we have recorded all the seasons and we're just going through every single season and i find myself like just like same thing like i'll i'll watch a season and if i miss an episode i'll go back and watch it or like and we all always go through uh like when we go to bed at night we'll turn on seinfeld or arrested development or cheers it's one of those three always and like we we don't watch new TV. I think the only thing new that we watch is sports. Yeah. I, I, I think if it's something that I don't know the outcome of, I'm not sure I want it on a script. You know, like it's, I mean, I, I, I watch like new movies, but like, yeah, I don't know what the outcome is. It's because it's like, a, you know, a hockey game that hasn't been played yet, or it's, you know, the, uh, the Super Bowl or something like that. Like, I don't want to, I don't know, everything else, I'm just comfortable watching. Seinfeld or you know Boy Meets World or something like that just old school stuff that I don't really need to think about you know the office reruns like just classic I know every episode is going to be good not to worry about it and you already know the story it's not like you have to pay all that close attention I think the other thing too like the what I've noticed it or like anytime we have tried to watch a new show they're like to like now everything's very dramatic like it's there's not a lot of I, I, I'm sure I'm completely wrong since I don't really pay attention, but I can't think of like a Seinfeld type of show on TV right now. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right about this because that type of show is so rare. I mean, I even like laughing out loud last night watching it, I was just like, I, I just don't see how this can hold up so well. I mean, everything is like, so it's the times are so different. I mean, it was just in the 90s, but you know, which isn't that terribly long ago, but the technology, the styles, like I watched the cars, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that, those were really cars, like driving around like the box shaped Chrysler cop cars is like, just, uh, it just looks so different. It looks so foreign. It looks almost 
it looks so old, but the stuff is still, the content is still so good. You know, it's just, but it's, it's funny you should mention that because it's, it's like, I have all of the apps with, you know, you get Netflix and there's every show you could possibly want, but I, I only want to watch like two or three shows on there because that makes things simple for me. You know, it's, it's like our like paradox of choice that we talked about, like too many options. And I'm, I'm just kind of stuck in that analysis paralysis. I, the, there's too many potential wrong decisions for me, or I don't want to sit through a new episode of some show that I've never seen before. And then like 30 minutes later, be like, well, that was a waste. I didn't know what I was getting into. And you know, it's, that was a gamble and I lost. It's, it's very true. I mean, we were talking the other day about streaming services. And if you just think about all the different streaming services out there now, I saw one advertised the other day, Tubi, T-U-B-I, which I'd never heard of before. And I'm, I'm sure they've got, you know, millions of subscribers, but like, you know, you talk about like people like cutting the cord. Well, I'm pretty sure at this point, cable is more cheaper than having like eight streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I, I did that years ago, I cut the cord and, and I've, I've all these apps and all these different devices. And I find myself watching Seinfeld on the digital antenna, you know, like on like locally aired digital cable that you don't actually pay for the cable. It's just, you know, free or there because but I've got all these, all these different options. But it's it's again, it's that paradox of choice. Like I don't want to spend the time surfing, like sifting through everything. I just want to put something on that I know is going to be funny and that I know is good, that I get my ROI on and have it on the background while I work or do whatever. Like that's that's my shortcut into not having to think too much or process too much. Which you know, parlays nice into like our our topic or our mini series, we'll call it around being biased because obviously we're biased. Well, Seinfeld, obviously, because it's the greatest show ever made. But it's the fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, so we're going to spend uh, the next couple of episodes focusing on heuristics and biases. And um, first, like having, having Cole walk us through what that is on this episode. And then the next episode, we'll dive into how these pose a dangers to marketers. So basically how you can become or how these can be uh, an impediment to progress. And then the following episode, we'll talk about how marketers can benefit from them. And so I, I'd love for you to start because I Googled this earlier and I don't remember what it means, but what's a heuristic? <laughs> so think of you know heuristics and uh, biases are subsets of heuristics. Think of heuristics as cognitive shortcuts, just something that allows us um, to, you know, general rules of thumb that allow us to make decisions or make a judgment on something or solve a problem quickly without a lot of mental effort. So like when we're talking about like all these different options of um, different TV shows and apps and, you know, what, what, what could we be streaming all this different content available to us, literally like just almost infinite content available to us. You know, it's a heuristic that I'm just saying like, well, I'll go with what I already know. I have, you know, the status quo routine of watching Seinfeld and I might as well just throw it on there because I know it's safe. I'm not going to lose anything. I'm not going to waste time. We talked about prospect theory last, uh, last episode. And it's this concept that like gaining something is good, but losing something is unbearably more, you know, so instead of or, yeah. you know spending 10 minutes trying to find something to watch, I just flip on Seinfeld because it takes no effort and it's done. 
Yeah, and that's basically what, what kind of like what a heuristic is. It's just, just, it's a mental shortcut that we don't need to assess all of the options in front of us. And so heuristics, um, biases, general favoritisms are not inherently a good or a bad thing. Really, they're kind of a good thing in the fact that we have to rely on them. With our cognitive load, we have a limited bandwidth that allows us to make you know, so much room for decisions. And I, I, we've talked before about you know, the, the Steve Jobs effect, of like why he wore a mock turtleneck and jeans every day, because the concept is he's removing low level decision-making. So if he doesn't have to make the decision of what he has to wear when he gets up and you know, uh, little trivial decisions, then he can expend more of that cognitive load, more of that energy on higher level strategic, more worthwhile decisions. I don't wanna spend my time at night sifting through lots of content. And even if it's 10 or 20 minutes of reading all the content that's available, looking at all the different episodes and shows, I just go straight to Seinfeld and I get on with my work. That way I'm not expending mental energy on what I'm gonna watch, something that's very trivial. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, we were talking about this the other day as well, where there's so many different things that a marketer could have access to or could do to improve their outcomes or their KPIs, but they end up just falling back into, I don't want to say what's comfortable because I don't, I don't mean it that way, but it's just like, I know this campaign is going to perform this way. And so that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that's, so that's like a, a status quo effect, which is, you know, again, another heuristic and we'll actually get to that uh, later on, but like that's, those are just, just little subtle nudges in our decision-making that make things easier for us. And like I said, sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. Um, what we'll do is, is in, in this ep episode, we'll, we'll start to kind of frame like what heuristics are and um, and what some of the potential problems are that we see in our decision-making that require us to, to rely on heuristics and biases and these sort of decision-making shortcuts. Then we'll get into uh, on a latter episode, what some of those heuristics are and how markers can kind of get tripped up with, with heuristics that don't benefit them. Um, but at the same rate, again, these aren't necessarily good or bad, there are a number of, of heuristics and you know, these sort of cognitive shortcuts that actually benefit uh, and can be used, leveraged by marketers um, to either save time, provide better customer experiences, things like that. So it really goes both ways. It's just a matter of being aware of them and how we can use them or make sure that we're avoiding the pitfalls of using some of these shortcuts. So um, I kind of want to get into, you know, First off, we'll, we'll talk about kind of perceived rationality. And we've, we've mentioned this before, I think in our first episode in the cognitive series was um, there's this kind of neoclassical economics rule, which is like every, you know, think of homo economicus. He's a, you know, a perfectly rational, sane human being that is not um, encumbered by emotion or context or anything when making decisions. And so in the textbook form, always makes perfectly rational decisions. And then, you know, on the other end, we have, you know, we have Homo economicus versus Homer Simpson. And, you know, this is somebody who's, you know, in the everyday natural world, encumbered by all the complexities, idiosyncrasies, and idiocy that we run into every day. 
and is you know plagued with real things of emotion and and so psychology on one end of this spectrum of what we call perceived rationality psychology says well you know we're all crazy and we can show things in a lab but the the fact that this doesn't necessarily parlay into the real world means we're all crazy and then neoeconomics says you know everybody should be rational there's no reason not to make rational decisions so somewhere in the middle of this is kind of this blend of behavioral economics which is say which is says that people make the best decisions they can in bounded rationality and that's this sense of we have limited bandwidth uh we have finite cognitive load and there's only so many decisions and so much that we can weigh in these options and so when we view it that way that's the reason that we rely on a lot of these heuristics and you know uh biases and, and common effects that we leverage every day because if we literally weighed every single option then we wouldn't get you wouldn't be able to get dressed in the morning you know there'd just be too many options of different you know jeans and um you know lev fleeces for you to wear um so you, you know having to weigh out everything and calculate everything becomes an issue and so what we see in a lot of these heuristics and biases are some of these commonalities that are thread through a lot of different um concepts that we've talked about so like cognitive load that finite bandwidth uh law of least effort we we rely on these because we don't want to expend that much energy and so we want to make things as simple of a model as possible and then loss aversion as well we're more afraid of losing something than we look forward to gaining something and so these are just kind of the common threads woven throughout the fabric of why marketers and consumers rely on a lot of these decision making shortcuts What's the like? Um, I guess what's the the correlation between, or uh, I guess more a simplistic question of like, so bias biases are like a subset of heuristics. Yeah, basically. So you just tend to have a favoritism of one thing over another, um, and so it could be that like you know when I'm shopping at a retailer and there are tons of different. Um, uh, iterations of a product, well, I might like plaid or I might like the color red and I have a general bias towards this. Um, you know, so, so there are things like, um, you know, confirmation bias where, you know, we've talked about cognitive dissonance before and cognitive dissonance is where, you know, this, this really uneasy mental tension that we feel when the facts that we're being presented with or the reality that we're facing doesn't match up with our beliefs or attitudes. And so one form of this for marketers uh, and consumers is buyer's remorse. Like I, I bought something I thought I, I had an idea of, I thought I knew I wanted this or needed this. Then when I receive it, it's either not the quality I found or I found something else that was better at a better price or, or price point or something like that. And so now I have this, this mental tension, this cognitive dis dissonance that is making me very uneasy. And so there's kind of two ways you deal with that. You either take your cognitive dissonance and say, okay, now that the facts don't seem to match up with my, my beliefs, I need to reframe my beliefs and attitudes to match more closely with what the facts are. Or, and subconsciously, a lot of us do this, I need to reframe these facts so they're more cohesive with what my current state of beliefs and attitudes are. And so that's what we feel, that's what we see when we see like confirmation bias is, 
you know, um, I, I, you know what, I'll just to be just to be topical, uh, we'll talk about, you know, people who are pro and anti-vax, and I'm not going to get in on, on, on like the, you know, politics or anything like that. But let's just say, and I've seen studies that went both ways uh, on this. So recently, there was, you know, there's all this content that came out in a study saying like all the you know thousands of people that have died within weeks of receiving the vaccine due to cardiac issues and it's a few thousand people and you know and, and so if you're anti-vax you're going to take that and say well you know i i'm looking at this through the lens of anti-vax and i and instead of opening myself up to all the data i'm going to use some of this data and i'm going to use it to confirm what i already believe and so instead of saying well a few you know a few thousand cases out of you know several several millions probably isn't staggering but yeah it's it still exists and it's worth consideration but what we don't know is how many of those people were predisposed to cardiac issues without the vaccine is a is this a coincidence is there causative versus correlative effects um how many people if you know if not more would have died being exposed to the virus itself as opposed to the vaccine for the virus so this sort of like selection bias of of you know what whether this is really happening so there are a lot of big unknowns but folks will still use this data to confirm their beliefs and hence the confirmation bias. And, and the same thing on the other side, though, is, is if you're vaccinated, I saw a study that, that came out that has, you know, staggering results for um, survival rates for vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And when I actually looked at numbers, um, what, what this study was showing was here are the survival rates of the vaccinated since the vaccine came out, as opposed to here are the death rates of everyone prior, even prior to the vaccine. So it was really apples versus oranges. It was not the same thing. And so, but if you're, if you're pro-vax, you're gonna look at that and say, this is staggering evidence to confirm what I already believe. Now, the one thing we do know is there's a lot of data out there. A lot of it's being skewed, regardless of where you, where you fall on either side of that, that discussion, there's a confirmation bias that we're, we're all basically prone to approach. And so, you know, it's kind of this, instead of relying on this shortcut, am I able to step back, zoom out and say, what do I have all the pieces here? Or does this really mean what I think it means? And I won't get into much into confirmation bias. We'll actually get into that in our next episode um, when we'll talk about confirmation and survivorship and some things that uh, are a little more detailed in how marketers specifically work with this. But yeah, these are just kind of, you know, these sort of shortcuts that can really trip us up. Um, if we allow them to, but I think being aware of them is kind of first step to saying, you know, as, as marketers, as consumers, or even as just everyday individuals, if I'm aware of this, I should be less prone to making errors based on these decisions. Or if I'm aware of the, you know, the positive outcomes of these decisions, I can apply those and make my life easier um, and rely on those without needing to you know, worry about the, you know, cognitive load and, and cognitive dissonance effects and things like that. Well, and I think that we take, you know, as marketers uh, or as, as marketing technologists, it's, it's the same thing, right? There's, there's people who believe that email is the best channel. There are people who think that mobile is the best channel. There are people who think that advertising, targeted advertising is the best channel. And, you know, there's no, there's no, golden ticket, so to speak, or, uh, or one that's, um, you know, ubiquitous for everyone. It's kind of like the question of when's the best time to send an email? Well, 
based on it's based on all these different factors. But if you came just came from a company where you always sent your emails at 8 a.m., you're going to have this confirmation bias of, well, we always sent ours at 8 a.m., so we need to do that at this next company. Or, you know, especially as we think about more advanced features within the, in the MarTech ecosystem, specifically around AI and machine learning, that I think in a lot of scenarios, you can make an argument that it goes either way, right? It's just dependent upon how the, the particular algorithm is written. Because all we're doing is we're taking the data that we're feeding into this particular engine and we're allowing it to make the decision for us versus us making the decision itself. And it's totally possible for those algorithms or AIML to have a bias based on how it's written. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a, a problem is, is a lot of, you know, AIML models come out with biases and we don't, we don't like that sometimes or, or the fact that what we want is, you know, the sort of law of least effort coinciding concept where we want a single causative agent to be responsible for, for everything. I want to know that like, this is the one subject line and email that's going to cover. I want to know that this is the best channel. And the fact of the matter is there are so many different contexts to consider. There's so many different users, so many different preferences. There's so many different, you know, times of day and things like that, that all of this makes an impact. And so having a single, you know, coefficient in, in a, a simple model is what we would like to have, but that's never the case. You know, our, our kind of ability to, to bear cognitive loads is that we favor these simpler models, simple models over like a complex multivariate model. But to your point though, I don't know a whole lot of AI or machine learning models that rely on a singular variable as opposed to lots of different coefficients that interact in complex ways in order to come out with, you know, what the best solution is at that point in time. So it's kind well, of like I, Occam razors, Occam razor is kind of a, a, a version of this is like the simple model should probably be true, but it very well might not be sometimes we, we would like it to be true. The simplest explanation is probably is hopefully the most true thing, but that's also a heuristic. It's not actually Occam razors. Occam's razor is not actually a law. It's just a heuristic. It's the thing that, that tells us like, hey, if something's simple or could be possibly simply explained, just leave it at that. Is Occam's razor a new competitor to, to Gillette? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I actually I have no idea what it is. What is it? Um, Occam's razor is like a, it's a theory um, on, on how, to how to construct or, or evaluate something. So it basically just says that um, if you have, 10 different potential reasons that something could come into existence or, or like a model could, could exist, the simplest one is probably correct. So for instance, like if I see um, a, a hole in the ground with smoke coming up and, you know, I can probably look at that and be like, okay, one of, maybe one of two things happened. Either somebody just left a campfire and, you know, put together this, you know, Put together a little bonfire, left it burning, and now it's smoldering. Or this, you know, this uh, hiking ground is on top of um, uh, a newly activated um, volcano that is underground that nobody's known and has never existed. Like technically, that could, I guess, technically exist. It could be like a hot spring about to erupt, but that's probably not the case. What probably happened was simply a bonfire. And so generally, we say like 
the simplest explanation is probably the correct one. But that's also just, uh, it's a theory. It's basically kind of like a heuristic that we use to explain things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Competitor to Gillette and Chick. That's what I got from that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Closest shave, Occam's razor, kids. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we get Occam to sponsor us. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Um, so, as and we'll we'll get into this more um, in some of the coming episodes, but uh, especially as we think about that that process of um, you know the um, confirmation bias, something that we talk to a lot of folks about, and what a lot of uh, companies seem to struggle with is this whole notion of tests and experimentation. And how it seems like a lot of folks just fall back into what they know or how something was set up because that's how it was set up. And it took a, a large amount of money to do that or a large amount of investment to do that. And we don't want to screw that screw with that. And so we'll get into more of those concepts um, as we as we keep going. But especially from a, a MarTech side of things, we see this a lot where people get caught up in their own head. And I mean, personally, I never think about it in a psychological manner. I just think about it as um, this company doesn't have testing and experimentation or whatever it might be as a key pillar to their marketing strategy or their marketing technology strategy. But in reality, most of the time, it's some kind of a personal bias, whether that's the person developing the campaigns or at a leadership level that we're, we're missing the boat somewhere along the line. Yeah, so there's like little examples of heuristics that are woven into those types of issues. Um, and it could be something like status quo bias, where I, instead of, you know, spending cognitive effort on testing every little thing and, and revamping my journeys um, regularly and, and revisiting and, and really examining what I know, I'm okay with things the way they are. And I just assume that what is status quo is, is, is fine to be where it is. Status quo bias is really crippling to, um, you know, innovation, creativity, um, you know, testing and, and, you know, getting ABN testing and, and really finding new solutions and learnings from uh, what we have in front of us. Um, at the same thing, there's also uh, sunk cost fallacy where we irrationally, you know, in, in um, uh, last episode, we talked a little bit uh, in prospect theory about some of that, um, you know the intensity, and we'll we'll get in we'll get into as well time decay of what what these things look like. But when we talk about sunk cost, a lot of the times we quote unquote irrationally weigh the amount of past time and effort that's gone into something, and that keeps us from moving forward from it. So we hold on to things like tech debt or old journeys or evergreen campaigns that just aren't that effective, um, and and we can even look pragmatically at data and just say like, well, this you know these just aren't aren't operating the, as effectively as they used to. But instead of like changing them or taking it out, we just say, well, that's just, you know, that's just that campaign. You can't compare it to, you know, new campaigns or the welcome campaigns, things like that, because those just have, you know, higher metrics and engagement anyways. So these are just, you know, this, we've put so much into this, just leave it running. And so these are some of the heuristics and things like that, that kind of trip up marketers and, and provide a little bit of a pitfall um, instead of letting them really get the most out of what's in front of them. And so I've kind of, in the next episode, we're going to get into sort of four main issues or 
um, ideas that make us error prone as marketers in terms of, of how we make decisions and what heuristics are involved with those. And so I, I won't get into them, but I'll, I'll just tell you the four are how we calculate um, to make certain decisions. So sometimes they're, it's too complex or sometimes it's too subjective to be calculated and not put into objective terms. Um, the interpretation. So how do we look at the data? You know, is confirmation bias being involved? Are we taking a, you know, a, a holistic look at the data or are we framing parts of it to tell the story we think it should tell? Um, community, how we, how we as marketers um, interact within the team or how we see consumers interacting uh, individually versus uh, across like peer reviews and things like that. Um, and then as well, chronology. So like how time and time decay affects some of our decisions. So like, you know, some cost for instance is, is looking at the past, but when you look at the future, how is your decision going to change? And so uh, we'll get into things like dynamic inconsistency and, and maybe mention a little bit of hyperbolic discounting of, of, of what, you know, basically the chronology is that, you know, consumers and even marketers, when we make a decision today about tomorrow, our tomorrow version may make a very different decision. Anything else we should uh, think through as far as like an overview, setting up the next two episodes of kind of the, the issues and errors, but also where it can be a positive outcome for heuristics and biases? Um, I think the big thing is just that we kind of just need to keep in mind that heuristics are not inherently bad. You know, in fact, if anything, they're good because we require them just to be able to function properly. So when we think about heuristics in that lens, you know, it, it makes sense that, that we want to leverage them. It's just a matter of some of these can be really pitfalls to us. And so we'll, we'll dive into a little bit of, um, you know, why some of these are beneficial and why some of these are not. We'll start with, I, I don't know if you're a good news first or a bad news first kind of guy. I, I like to look forward to good things. So in our next episode, we'll actually talk about the pitfalls and you know, why we make mistakes as marketers with some of these uh, cognitive shortcuts. But then we'll get into the redeeming effect of here's all the really good things we can do and all the cool concepts that to consider with some of these heuristics. And here's how we can provide better consumer experiences. Here's how your customer can benefit from some of these. Here's how you can expend less energy or even revenue and get better results from what you see in front of us using these same biases and heuristics. I'm definitely a bad news first person. Oh yeah. Give me the good sure. news after. But I mean, to your point, like, you know, don't, don't want to end this on a negative note where we're talking about something like confirmation bias. It, to your point, it, it allows us to function. There are a lot of positives to it too. So I'm excited to jump into that. So uh, jumping over to completely unrelated, since we're in Super Bowl season, Super Bowl must-haves. And this could be anything. But, are, well, I guess first, do you, do you host a Super Bowl party? Do you do you go to someone's house? Do you sit at home by yourself? Um, I have hosted Super Bowl before. I think when I, when I did, I, the most important thing for me was I'm right up the street from, like, the best wings in town. So I go and load up on, on the wings from Keystone Sports Review, which in Indianapolis are amazing wings. Um, 
if you haven't been there, super divey bar, delicious food. But I load up on a ton of those wings. I feel like wing, like you have to have wings for Super Bowl. I oh, definitely. Like if, yeah, if you don't have wings, it's, it's, I don't know. It's like a tailgate without beer. I'm not really sure what that is. I think it's just people sitting around with water, I guess. I don't know. Like Super Bowl without wings is the same sort of thing. Like you can't have it without both. What are, are, you, well, are, you, are you a host guy? uh no i i can't even remember i mean i i i feel like i'm 87 years old sometimes <laughs> i'm trying to think of what we did last time uh oh no we well no we did go um we watched the first half of the super bowl at a restaurant with a couple friends no actually i think we were at home for most of it sounds raucous I mean, well, no, no, yeah, I think we were home for most of it because Joni fell asleep and uh, in like the second quarter and, you know, the Bucks were just demolishing the Chiefs, which couldn't have made me happier. And like she woke up again in the fourth quarter and apparently she had told me to wake me, wake her up after halftime, but I don't remember her saying that. And, you know, it wasn't the game. The final score was 31 to nine. So I didn't wake her up. And then apparently I was supposed to. But I, I do remember last year we bought, and this was this was just for us. I, I have no idea why I did this, but we went to BW3s and picked up 80 wings. Oh, and then at that sounds like, awesome. <laughs> and then early, earlier in the day, because we had done done that earlier in the day, and then when we had gotten home, because we I think we did go out. We were out with some friends for the first quarter, and then we came home. I'm pretty sure I door dashed another dozen wings plus pork rinds and pimento cheese. Oh, that's pretty solid. I know. Um, no, no chips which, and dip. No chips and dip. Have you ever had pimento cheese? I don't know that I have. Probably, but I probably didn't ask questions when I vacuumed it into my mouth. <laughs> Put that on your list. Pimento cheese is unbelievable. I think I'm pretty sure it's just like cheese and mayonnaise and a couple other unhealthy ingredients but it is unbelievable especially with pork rinds um i mean except with pork rinds you eat like four of them and you feel like you're gonna keel over and die <laughs> but uh just wipe them on my face <laughs> but i think that uh the um like I, I feel like go-tos are wings for sure wings have got to be there some kind of like chips and dip like i i really like uh like a chili cheese dip just you know a layer of cream cheese on the bottom chili and then shredded cheese on top and you bake it for like 10 minutes just simple Ooh, yeah that sounds good yeah chili um, cheese dip or, or like nacho cheese or anything like that i'm i'm down i i figure like i could make a meal out of just cheese and crackers i actually i definitely have before but any form of cheese and crackers like nachos and queso whatever it is i could i could just crush that like it's going out of style oh yeah yeah any kind of like guacamole hummus i recently found pico de guaco which is half pico and half guacamole and it's unbelievable i'm sure that's not a new invention but sheltered times here on the in the clouds podcast <laughs> uh <laughs> but i think the other, other must-haves are i i can't i can't deal with someone who doesn't understand football i can't i can't deal with the questions you know what why is it fourth down why are they punt or why are they kicking the ball why is a touchdown six points i just can't i can't deal with it 
Um, I, I, I got to go to a, a Colts game not that long ago with my nephews who were seven at the time. And I got to explain that and that was kind of exciting, but you're right. When I'm in the Super Bowl and I'm watching and, and, you know, let's be honest, most of the time my Colts aren't in it. So I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm there for the commercials. I want to know who spent upwards of, of, you know, six mil for a 30 second spot here. You know, I, 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 I am I really, that. my, my hopes are pretty high for a new Dr. Rick progressive commercial. Cause I've been watching the same one where they, you know, uh, are walking through the grocery store and uh, or the one where they're going into the game where they're talking about leaving before they even get in. Uh-huh. I'm holding that hope for one of those. Yeah. They progressively got some good ones. I, I like that. That's, that's part of my favorite thing is the next day is just talking about what were the favorite commercials because, you know, I, I'm just not that interested in talking about how Tom Brady probably got another Super Bowl, which we want this year, but obviously, but uh, you know, I, I, I like it. Just, really just going through the commercials you get the feel-good ones with you know the 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 budweiser uh horses or you know some oh, the clydesdales uh, yeah you got to go for the feels or you got to go for comedy i don't you know if it was last year or the year before but heinz had a uh commercial with nothing but dachshunds in it and they all had like hot dog costumes on <laughs> it was unbelievable I don't remember it, but yeah, I could, I could get along with that. Must not have been that memorable. <laughs> <laughs> or well, somebody was every... talking about a commercial, so, which is the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Although that would probably be me. I'm not in that into the commercials. I'd rather watch the commercials separately from the game. Usually the commercials for me are, I got to go get more chips. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening to In the Clouds podcast. As always, you can reach us at in the clouds at lovedigital.com. I think we've only ever gotten one email. I'm just throwing that out there. If someone could reach out to us, let us know you're listening. And thanks for that email, mom. Appreciate it, Mrs. Fisher. <laughs> See you, everybody.